Episode 32 of the Romantic About Baseball podcast. I am your host, Adam McKinnon. This podcast is almost as old as I am. And uh, this week, I don't have a co-host, but Jim Passan is here. And he's joined by Jeremy Frank. And uh, they are my—they are the interviewees for this particular episode because they are here to talk about their new book, The Hidden Ball Trick, Volume 2. Gentlemen, thank you so much for joining us. Yeah, thanks for having me on. Yeah, I'd like to thank the podcast for having me on too. I think it's. Do you have a choice, Jim? It's an honor. (laughs) It's an honor to be here. It's uh, it's amazing. It's it's, you know I've been really working hard to get Jim on the show for some time now, and uh, this is just a this is a dream come true for me, really. So yeah, scheduling's been tough lately. Yeah, I uh, see that. I see that. Um, With all the games going on and everything else, it's just been really tough to get in and out. So it it has. I'm glad I could finally make it. I'm I'm really really fortunate for that for that have you guys been catching any of the kbo games that have been going on i've actually been watching quite a bit because it works really well because my sleep schedule is just so bad that like i'm wide awake when these games at least the the 1 a.m eastern time games like those games i i'm watching all the way through like <laughs> I'm, a big, I'm a big lote giants fan so nice. I, they're not they're not usually on espn so i usually have the espn game on my tv and then I have the um, the Lote Giants sketchy stream pulled up on uh, my computer because I don't know at the beginning I, I know a few people that work for the Giants in their front office so I just picked uh, their team and uh, there's actually a really great uh, KBO community in in uh, America believe it or not like I'm in a group chat with probably 60 plus people most of them are from America big Lote Giants fans it's really cool um, like obviously it's not. Uh, the MLB, everyone would rather have um, be paying attention to their favorite MLB teams, or at least mo- most people would rather be. Sure. But at the same time, it is baseball, and it's really cool to find a community, especially with like a lot of my Twitter friends, like like Devin Fink. He's one of my best friends on Twitter. We not, we don't root for the same team in any sport except for uh, Korean baseball. So it's kind of cool to be uh, on the same side. Uh, there you for- go. J- Jim, have you been able to catch any of it? <laughs> I caught like a little bit one night. I was working the middle of the night uh, on a shift, so I popped on the old ESPN for a little bit while I was working, and I caught a couple innings, but not too much. Now life's been really busy on the on the personal side, work, 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 sleep when I can, type of stuff. So right. I've been a little bit out of it, but uh, Diamond Digest was nice enough. They've got some people that are following it, and they put out some power rankings today, so I'm a little bit caught up. I decided that if I was going to have a KBO team, I was going to cheer for the Twins. So, considering no, the that Giants and the Giants hate the Twins, so <laughs> I can't. I, can't <laughs> I cannot endorse the Twins. Just, I can't take that. Um, so, I, I'm going to ask you guys the the same question that we ask uh, most of our guests here when we start the show, and uh, I'll start with Jeremy this time. Um, so, Jeremy, what what is your baseball origin story? How did it get started for you? 
Yeah, so I just grew up a, a huge baseball fan. My parents both, my mom's a big Cubs fan, my dad's a big White Sox fan, so there's always that rivalry uh, in our house, but always just grew up with a baseball game on in the background. Uh, played Little League my entire life. I still play like in an adult league, rec league. Um, so I'm obviously not good enough to be playing in college, or I would not be going to a D1 school probably if I was good enough, <laughs> but... Um, Still a huge fan. Um, I've always been a huge fan of the the math side of baseball. Obviously, like baseball in general is awesome. I just grew up like always just a, just pretty good at math. So I always it was cool to see how um, how related they could be, and kind of put those things together in my account. But yeah, I just grew up a huge baseball fan, uh, collecting baseball cards, just all those things like that. Um, pretty like a generic story. Um, I attended Mark Bros perfect game in 2009, which was really cool. That's one of like the first baseball moments I remember personally. And it was the first game I kept score at, so that was cool. Oh, nice. But yeah, I mean, that's just kind of a little bit about me. And uh, and Jim, Jim, what is your baseball origin story? Uh, I grew up uh, playing Little League. Uh, uh, my parents put me in T-ball when I was, I think, six or seven, somewhere in there. Um, and then uh, it just it went from there, right? Uh, I loved being on the field as a kid. Uh, played Little League all the way up through uh, Legion Baseball. Wasn't very good, but still played. Um, and yeah, we just basically always went to minor league games in Great Falls. Um, or once in a while, we'd get the long trip. Uh, I think I was about seven, six. I must have been six. In 1983, we got to go to the Kingdom and catch the Yankees play the, the Mariners back then. So um, yeah, it's just uh, something that my parents always put around me, and it was always something I enjoyed actually doing. So as somebody that loved to play Little League, I was really invested in the, the game from that side. And then eventually, uh, yeah, I was introduced to baseball cards about eight years old, nine years old, somewhere in there. And then that was it for about the next seven years. It was just baseball cards, playing baseball during the summer, tearing my arm up all winter long and throwing baseballs off the side of my house to try to stay warm for for the next season. And uh, and just, yeah, that's I love the game. I, so I basically didn't really study the history of it except by the back of a baseball card. And, um yeah, uh, that that grew in me so that we always just basically loved being around baseball. Uh, and then there was a gap there after uh, high school that I watched the game, but I didn't really get involved in it. I wasn't collecting baseball cards or anything. I was living the real life. And uh, and so I took a little bit of a break there. And then, uh, I don't know, about four or five years ago, came across Twitter, ran into some people on the baseball Twitter, I guess, right? And then... Uh, Eventually, yeah, they opened up to a community of people that really got to show me how much people love the game and how much they study it and how much they they share. So now my knowledge has gone through the roof because I've learned a lot about all those players that were on those baseball cards, not just the numbers that were on the back. So, um, yeah, that's how I got here. I love the game, and it just keeps making me uh, love it more and more, even though we're not watching games right now like we should be. Do you guys you guys find it interesting that like whenever you I've asked this question of a lot of people so far and and I've I've listened to uh, people talk about their baseball origin story and I find that two of two of the most common things that I hear are baseball cards and keeping score. 
And that's something that like, I even had the kind of a flashback memory of being assistant coach in my, my, uh, my, um, my little league team. Like my dad was the coach and I moved on to the next, like the minors a or whatever. And my dad was still the minors B coach. And I, whenever on my off days, I would go keep score with him and I collected baseball cards. So it's interesting that between the two of you, although you're, you know, Jim, you remember the kingdom and, uh, Jeremy, your first, uh, you know, you, you were saying your first baseball game was like 2009, right? So, yeah. so you figure like, even though the gap in time, the, the two, you're still linked by the same sort of old school type of things. So mm-hmm. I always, I always find that really interesting when people's origin stories, cause you can always, almost always trace it back to baseball cards and keeping score. Uh, Jeremy, yeah, do you, do you still keep score? Like, do you, do you still remember all everything and all that? Um, I'm, I definitely am capable of keeping score. Like I know all of the, like the things to keep score. I personally, when I go to baseball games, I don't keep score. I, I just, I understand why a lot of people do. I just think it's more enjoyable to just take it all in. But it was just kind of a weird answer for me. Cause I think a lot of people would expect that I would go and keep score, but, um, it's kind of funny with what you said with, um, your literally keeping score. Cause, um, my dad was always my little league coach growing up, and mm-hmm. the league required uh, the coaches to keep like batting average and ERA for all the players because there's a draft every year. It was like house league baseball, so there's a draft every year, and the kids would go to different teams. So um, the managers needed to know how good these players were, so they needed to keep stats, like not even like advanced stats or anything, but so they required the managers to keep score. So um we kept score and then we had this like really like in-depth book i would like i'd like create sabermetric stats when i was like 10 <laughs> years old like i'm like thinking like how should we make our lineup so like we the most possible like, are we supposed to hit our best hitter second here or like do we do we move our like uh we have a really great on base guy do we hit him towards the bottom of the order or will he be mad about it or like right. just stuff like that um, no, nothing but, like figuring out a 10 year old's fip <laughs> <laughs> exactly i mean that's i i swear if i pulled up uh i think i still have the spreadsheet on my like one of my old computers i'm sure we could find i i, I definitely have like a very bad version of war on there for, for these <laughs> i'd have to like estimate how good they were on defense by like the eye test but um yeah. it the, was the dreaded I, eye of, test yeah and it, it's actually funny you say that because i think a lot of kids nowadays and i hate to be like that like old person who like the kids nowadays but like i feel like no one collects baseball cards anymore like i feel like Baseball cards are a lot less of a thing for kids that are like 10 years old now than they were even like 10 years ago. I think, I don't know why that's the case. I just have never really seen much about baseball cards. Um, like they used to be, especially in like the 80s and 90s were a huge thing. And I think just since then I've kind of just not been as interesting. Maybe it's just could be, maybe it's just because like, um, like electronics are way more prevalent. So like who needs like cardboard things? It's the same thing with ticket stubs. No one, I hate it. I hate it so much that they don't give us paper ticket stubs anymore. Right. And like, and that's something that happened like in the last five years. Like I don't even have the option to get a paper like ticket stub to collect these anymore. So now I have like this app on my phone that tells me what games I was at. But I have a bag of tickets that I from all the games I went to as a kid. So uh, just things like that. I don't know. Um, I think it's I I I think you're onto something a little bit there. And, and Jim, you'll probably back me up on this. It's because you, I think baseball cards still have a pretty prevalent place, but they're among adults. Like it's yes. among adults that like you yeah. know like the wax pack book. Uh, with Brad, Brad Baluchin, uh, Christopher Kamka, like all these guys that, that make, um, you know, is sort of make their niche in baseball cards. It, yeah. it, and you notice too, it, it's always the guys like, it's never the 2000 something set. It's always the, it's the 1970s, it's the 1980s. It's become a piece of nostalgia 
for well, that's what i'm saying yeah it, it, kids aren't into 30, it these days in 30 years is anyone gonna care about baseball when like my generation are like adults and like i would say like some people still have baseball cards my age but like most of them don't even most baseball fans probably don't are not going to regularly buy the 2020 baseball packs as they would in 1980 but like in 30 years is it even going to be nostalgic for anyone because we didn't grow up going to card shops uh trying to pull a, a like a rare card or something but i do think um i hate to rant here but i think um i think it's kind of been replaced by uh video games like even like i will be the show i think right. they have like a very like they have like a card collecting aspect to that game and i think that's almost yeah. what it's being replaced by because a lot of and the game does have a lot of historical players a lot of historical card art and i think that's kind of how people are consuming baseball cards now is through um oh i pulled this guy in the pack and now i can play with him in this video game i think right. that's kind of how it, it's going towards now it's more interactive yeah i mean it's just today's world right i agree it's it's pretty uh it's pretty much spot on what jeremy says it's the i mean what do you get ratings on those right and uh yeah it's cool it's, though because next thing you know you're playing with jose canseco from right you know, cool, like, <laughs> like when i was younger like me and my friends um the ones who did collect baseball cards would like try and create like a I know they have like Stratomatic and like um, those other like APBA or whatever it's called, but like yeah. we tried our own thing with like the like the stats on the back of the baseball cards. We like roll a die or whatever and try to figure out like what they would get. But like now you can do that in video games, which I think is awesome because like that's like the way it puts the whole together the whole thing together. It's not just collecting them for what a lot of people would say there's no reason. Like obviously they have sentimental value to some people, but a lot of people just think they're pieces of cardboard. But in the video game, you can actually collect the cards and then you can either sell them. For like a virtual currency or play with them in a game or something like that so right when you when you used to collect cards would you uh what what, what would you do with them all right so i mean some people were collectors of just like a, a friends of mine growing up they would just go collect a card it was already opened out of a pack it was like oh, i'm gonna buy ken griffey junior rookie card right but then there were a lot of people me i was a pack opener that's all i wanted to do was open packs if i could buy a box of packs i'd buy a box of packs and then everything else right but after i opened it up the first thing i always did was basically as i was opening them up i'd read the backs and then i'd file them right if it yep. like the, yep. the tops it was always what one through 792 so i had a group of zero through uh 99s and all my 100s and everything all sectioned out as i went through and i filed them in a box and then at the end of the year after i was done collecting i'd try to go through it all again drag them all out take what i thought was the best one out of each one of my duplicates drop it in the sheet and then just build myself a binder and uh that was it but i know i mean some people would play with them right some people would trade them and stuff i've never traded a baseball card my entire life oh, wow. we'd always try and trade baseball cards but we never agree on a trade because everyone would feel like they're gonna get swindled by the other person that no one would end up wearing anything <laughs> out like i still have binders for the cards but i did not like collect them like trying to get the complete set or anything i just had them they're cool to like read yeah, the back yeah. of the on but like i don't know i definitely it was not it's not it wasn't as big of a thing when i was a kid as when it like as it was when you guys were kids true yeah that's that's uh it, it, i remember i still remember to this day i had 4037 baseball cards when i was a kid and i i don't know why that number always sticks with me and and it's uh, and i remember the most valuable card now i never had valuable cards i had a lot of cards but my most valuable card was a Ron Gant rookie card. It was like $9. I got a book that told me how much it was worth. And I was just thrilled to pieces that I had this $9 baseball card uh, yeah. for like an 8-year-old or 10-year-old, however old I was. Um, so, cool. you know, we, we talk about the modern, you know, I, I feel like 
the modern baseball fan is not only really digitally driven, say, to, to video games and things like that. There's also the social media world that has really... I mean, if you ever want to know how strong the the baseball social media community is, and I, I'll emphasize Twitter more so than other platforms, is that the sport is not playing right now. Excuse me. And yet the the overall, the attention around the sport, like the anticipation around the sport, and then like, you know, the, the sort of filler content, the, the polls, best hair in baseball, you know, best team. Jeremy, you did a series on, you know, the, uh, the World Series teams matching them up together, still gets massive amounts of attention. So, and that's really where you guys have, have kind of carved out your space is on social media, specifically Twitter. So, I'll ask you, you know, for example, you're, you're most known for it, but specifically, you know, how did, how did the, the presence get started? You know, was there a particular moment, was there a particular tweet that, that you found to be a particular turning point for your current, how you got your current following, what your current status? And I'll, I'll, I'll lead with uh, Jim this time. So the thing that you're looking for, the thing that, that makes me who I am social media wise. Yeah. Is that what you're looking for? Basically. Yeah. I, I, I originally turned to it for like, I turned to Twitter for, uh, like fantasy baseball originally. Right. Cause there was just somebody I wanted to ask a question to. And I was listening to a podcast and I hear, Hey, you can just go on, hit Twitter and, and send me a message. I'll answer it. Right. And it's like, okay, well I got a question. So I signed up for Twitter and, I talked to that person and that led to somebody else about something. And next thing I was like, Hey, follow this guy. And, uh, and then I ran into, I believe it was, uh, gosh, I think it's hardball stats. Do you remember that one, Jeremy? Oh yeah. Right. He like, he, like, he like comes up like once a year to tweet something. I'm like, yeah, oh, like how you doing, man? I'm doing well. How about you? Like, I'm doing okay. And then like, I don't talk to him for a year. <laughs> yeah. Right. He's a totally nice guy. Right. So I run into this guy and uh, he's doing these stats on, on baseball games. I'm just like, I'm, 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 I'm enamored by it. Right. Cause it's like, it was like the bag of a baseball card on steroids to me. And I didn't realize people were doing that. I didn't realize a database exists that, that could uh, help you find that type of information. And so, yeah, that guy a message and uh, he got back with uh, helped me out he kind of guided me along on being able to put together tweets and got me sent send down the right direction he was very supportive instead of being somebody who was like ah this guy's trying to steal my my stuff right no he, he was helping me out and uh that's how that's how i got stuck into it um i've been just hunting stats ever since jeremy how about you yeah so for me i started my twitter account um freshman year of high school so i was like 14 um, I, I followed like Ryan Spader from my personal account and he has like a very similar account to me, but I always just been like, uh, I always would like ask him like when I was like, like when I, back when I had like just my personal Twitter account and I followed him and be like, Hey, like, can you post something like Chris Bryant? Like he wouldn't post something about Chris Bryant. I didn't realize that he had so many people in his mentions asking <laughs> him to post stats about their favorite players. And I was kind of upset. So I'm like, oh, you know what? I'm just going to start my own thing and like, tar- I'll tweet about Chris Bryant now or whoever, whatever player it was. But yeah, and I think it's um it's kind of just taken off from there. I think the turning point um for me, I think there was one tweet. It was about Joey Votto a few years ago. It was about um he had like something about his pop up. I don't remember the exact number, but he had like 
in his last 10 seasons had popped out to the infield like seven times or something. Got like a ton of retweets on it, a ton of likes on it. I think I gained like 10,000 followers from it. I had like 15,000 at the time. I think I gained one up to like 25,000, which was pretty crazy. And I almost like doubled it. But mm. it was in like a bunch of different like articles and stuff, which was really cool. And like my friends all saw it on like Barstool Sports Instagram or something. Like I got sent it like for like a week after that. Like people would be like sending me like, oh, like here's where I found your your tweet or something like that. And they thought it was pretty cool. And that's when like people like I didn't even like when I started my account. Like at first, like I didn't even like tell my friends about it. Not because like I want to keep it a secret, just because like I didn't think it was that notable. But then like all of them were like, hey, like is this you? Like or is this another guy named Jeremy Frank? I'm like, oh yeah, it's me. Like it's my account. <laughs> Kind of taken off from there. I don't know if that was. The, I think I would have eventually um, gotten those followers, anyways. But it, it definitely uh, sped it up quite a bit. Did you? Um, you know, what's interesting. So it, it it does kind of boil down to like the right tweet at the right time. You know that that sort of catches fire. So um, I'll ask you guys: Was um, was there a method to the tweets that you choose? Is there a sort of like? Um, you know, a pre, I don't want to say pre-programmed, but is there any kind of sort of system like you see something or is it just, you see something and it's like, Oh, this is cool. Uh, I'm going to put it out there. I will say that, um, my Twitter handle is still very appropriate for, um, like what I kind of tweet about <laughs> just literally random stats. Like I don't really care that much. Like if I post something, I'm not looking like, hey, if this, if if I think this is gonna get under 20 retweets, I'm not gonna tweet it. Like, no, nah, I'm not thinking like that. I'm just like, if I find a stat that I think is relatively interesting, I'll, I'll tweet about it. I don't really care if uh, some people don't find it interesting, cause like, unfollow me if they don't think it's interesting. But a lot of times, the way I look at it is if I find a, an interesting stat, especially more historical, more historically for like a statistic, like um for guys that played before I was born, um a lot of these guys were like some of my followers' favorite players when they were growing up. So, like, it could be some random player from 1982 who I've never heard of or barely heard of, but he was featured in the stat. And maybe he wasn't even the main point of the stat. He just happened to be one of the one of the points. Like, oh, like, I have a list yeah. of 10 players who have done it, and their favorite player is one of those players. And be like, wow, I haven't heard that name in so long. Like, this is a really cool stat. And, like, for me, that does not mean anything. Like, that player did not mean anything for me, and, like, that's not the reason I tweeted it. But if I can make – if there are 10 people out there whose favorite player was featured in the stat – like not even on purpose on my end. Like I think that's kind of a win uh, for me. That's kind of just, um, just anything I find interesting is really just what I'm posting about. Sure. Thanks. Yeah. 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 I'm uh, looking for that too. Right. Interesting is, is the goal. Um, just trying to find something that's uh rare. It's got the, uh, the, you know, the big guys involved in it, right? Like only a Barry Bonds and Ted Williams and a Babe Ruth have ever done it. Plus one guy, right. The oddball that, fit, that doesn't fit. Um, those types of things, right? And so, typically, you know, you're hoping to find one of those. Uh, for me, I just get, you know, thinking about okay, I I get interested in like say Tony Quinn on his birthday, right? Yesterday, um, so you just go to his account and you just start looking at things that just don't seem to be things that'd be common by just looking at me basically his main page or going through his splits page or something else. And then uh, then you just say, okay, well, what are the chances this ever happen very often? And then that's where I just start digging in. All of a sudden, it's like, well, that's happened a few times. But if I take out, say, batting average and I install on-base percentage into that spot and redo that that research, right, I might come up with a whole different answer. And uh, and that's kind of really the the thing. It's like you just get interest in either 
how how often somebody's done something or you go check a player out and and bounce off of what their stats say and see how often something happens and typically that first search second search third search don't come back with the numbers that you want you just basically kind of you, sh- you just jimmy it from there right you just kind of say what if i adjust this this stat just a little bit or i change and say ditch this stat put a different one in its place how often this happened and yeah that's that's basically my tricks pretty much do you stumbling yeah <laughs> just just finding the squirrel finding the nut right that's it yeah it's crazy do, do you guys you know one of the things that i've noticed is like um like for example jeremy you've branched out into into youtube somewhat recently and uh jim you know you obviously you've gotten into podcasting somewhere somehow i'm not really sure where yeah um, i don't know where that <laughs> but uh but one of the things that i've noticed is you know that social media in general, with the the coverage of baseball and, and the sort of figure, the, I, I say the figures that it's created, um, like like you guys and and like some other accounts and things like that. You know, what do you guys what's what do you see as next for the game? Like, what do you see as next between the marriage of social media and the game itself? Do you see like you know, and I'll include guys like like Foolish Baseball for example into that. You know, um, what what do you think is the next logical step for the social media, the sort of unofficial coverage of the game, which is in actuality the source of actual, a lot of people use like you guys and blogs and podcasts as their source of news. You know, I, I equate it to like when The Daily Show became a lot of people's like, you know, this is where people would get the headlines. A lot of people are getting the headlines from you guys and from other from other social media sources. What do you, what do you think is next for that? How do you see that evolutionizing? I'll start. I'll lead with Jeremy. It's kind of bizarre, honestly. Like, for one, like me and foolish, I can't speak for for Bailey, but I do know that he. I mean, I don't know, but he probably feels the same way I do. And like when like we have like pretty big followings, but like people respect our opinions way more than they should because like we have no <laughs> like there's no reason anyone like besides our our follower count or our subscriber count on YouTube for foolish baseball. Um, and I guess it's Twitter followers, but like besides that, there's no reason anyone should care about our opinions. We're just, we're just another one of, uh, we're just another baseball fan. We have not worked in the baseball industry. We just got lucky. I mean, I would say more so for Bailey. He's more talented than I am at what he does. I got more lucky with uh, people finding my account, but the only reason people care about my opinion is because either they agree with it or because I have a lot of followers and they, uh, people equate that with uh, knowing what you're talking about. With credibility. Definitely, I definitely don't know what I'm talking about a lot of times, but people still uh, <laughs> respect my opinion, which is cool, but at the same time, I don't know. But um, to answer your question, it's really interesting because um, a lot of people my age spend like more time on Instagram than they do on Twitter. That's kind of like the social media of choice for a lot of uh, younger people. But if you go on Instagram and like you start – there are so many sports accounts. It's like – it's hard to say, like, because everyone, this is kind of how I am, too. Like, everyone, when they're, like, younger, they always, they all want to work in baseball. And so their first step is to make a social media page to get their stuff out there, which I think is a great idea. But then you get into Instagram, and there are probably 50 different uh, just stat pages alone on Instagram. Like, all all different. All of them put in a ton of work. But at the same time, eventually, there's going to be so many of these pages that, like, I don't know what happens next. I got lucky on Twitter that there aren't as many of them. But I, I'm not saying that like no one should like create their own account to like post their stuff on. I, I think it's cool that there are so many of them. But at the same time, like you go on Instagram and you can find like 20 different handles of different 
of different ways people are putting MLB stats in their username just because and they post really cool stuff. But at the same time, like there's eventually this is going to keep growing and growing. And I don't even know what's going to happen next. I think I think MLB is going to try and hire some people um, eventually because a lot of times for a lot of accounts, they don't embrace a lot of their their creators, like their content creators. They've recently have started uh, like uh, liking Foolish Baseball, which is really cool. I hope that if he wants to, they bring him on board and like John Boy as well, stuff like that. And Pitching Ninja, they had a big disagreement with, but now they're like friends, I guess. I don't really know. But I think eventually you'll see that they'll start hiring some people that grow their game because they'll realize that it brings them money to have people talking about their their sport for free. And if they pay them, they can get them to do, they can get them to talk about what they want them to talk about and still put it in a way that people people like to hear. Um, if they hired uh, if they hired John Boy and uh, told them what to talk about, I'm sure that both of those people. Um, well, John Boy has his own company now, so I'm not sure how he'd feel about it. But he'd be making he'd be employed by MLB, making money, and MLB would be getting him to talk about whatever they wanted him to talk about. So, right. I, I think that's probably the next step. But I honestly could not tell you what's going to happen. What social media and sports is going to look like in five years from now. Now, now Jim, we've, we've, you and I have kind of come up and, and heard baseball say for, for so long now, like, Oh, we need, we need the younger demographic. We need the, the younger generation. Right. Do you think that it, it, do you think it would be advantageous for the game to maybe kind of like what, you know, what Jeremy's saying, really start to embrace these creators? Cause you can do whatever you want on the field, but ultimately it's what's going to be off the field that counts. Do, do you feel like that that could be a route for the game to kind of expand into this coveted, so to speak, demographic? Yeah, it's um, getting getting people involved, right? Getting them to feel like they're part of the game. Just, you know, like Jeremy says, I, I've never been, I don't know, nothing. I'm not baseball, right? I'm not MLB. I'm not related to them in any manner at all. And, uh, and but I still feel like I'm a part of it, right? Just being able to do what I do. So, Feeling like that is, I think, the key for me for what the future brings. If you can interact with the fans, if you can get the younger generation or the older generation to do polls and uh, just you know hit up a hashtag and ask questions and stuff like that, if you can keep that interaction there, you keep them tied into the game, you get them buying tickets, you get them buying gear, and they're involved, they feel like they're part of the game. And I think the people that are best at that on social media are going to be the ones that bridge that gap. They're going to be the ones that have that possibility of being employed by major league baseball or somebody else right that can find a way to monetize it right if you can maybe you could scoop up some uh somehow the next version of people like jeremy and i and ryan spader and and others chris kampka and uh and get them into a team and be able to market that to nhl nba nfl and and mlb or or i I think they got soccer stats now on sports reference so you could put together a team if you could pitch it and get people like espn to buy into it i think it's it's there and if you can get the interaction i think you you can do good i think that's where like uh people like mike patriello and uh tom tango do very well right they're employed by i believe it's mlb uh advanced statistics right advanced Advanced yeah. yeah Yeah, so, yeah, advanced media. So, but they do a great job of interacting with people. And, and, and so many times I've seen somebody 
that gets a reply from Tom Tango and the very next reply behind it is usually thanks for taking your time to answer my question. He's very respected and but that gets that person to be like, Man, that guy from MLB chatted back at me. He's involved. He cares about me, the customer, the fan, and all of a sudden you've got somebody tied in. People like Tom Tango and Mike Petriello are great for business. I think people like Jeremy and I and and others could be too. I I agree. I think it's a, it's an interesting turning point. You know, you look back at the, you know, the generation of analytical writers like the the Keith Law and, and Rob Nyer and and um, uh, Christina Carl that came out of that, you know, Bill James generation. Now it's I almost wonder if the next generation are the social media personalities that are going to further bridge the gap between the league and the fans. And so I, I think that's really interesting. Um, we're going to take... be a part of it, right? Just as, at least a pretty good part of it. Right, right. We're... I, I think before you before you say what you're about to say, I'm sorry for cutting you off, but I think <laughs> the, thing, the thing that is really different, um, I'm not criticizing like baseball writers in general, but a lot of them are very skilled writers who like just write about baseball. But a lot of people on social media, these accounts, they are like very like specialized in what they do. Like John Boy is known for being really good at knowing what's going on in a baseball game. Like he can really like nitpick the, the great details in, um, in, in videos that no one else would find. And like Bailey is really good at telling stories about, um, like historical baseball events, like, or players or whatever, pretty much whatever he wants to talk about. Um, I think if we see those people start going into like, like being employed by major league baseball or ESPN, I think, um, it there would be a really good balance between just like the very skilled writers about it, and then also those kind of like niche. Because um, there's no way to like th- those niche social media people, kind of like you're saying, they all have like a different twist on kind of doing the same thing. They're all talking about baseball, they're all spreading their love for baseball, but they all do it in totally different ways. Um, having a bunch of these very different but very like like very important accounts um, or people working for them would be really cool. Instead of just like obviously, I'm not saying that beat writers like don't have a place in the game i think having specialized writers are very important for each team but at the same time we really need those people like mike petriello who's great with um with numbers and explaining the stat cast stuff guys like foolish baseball and john boy just all of those and we're gonna see more of them coming up in the next few years just very specialized um ways of telling baseball like um don zemmer i believe his name is he does Mm -hmm. like the the songs with the baseball reference page like that's awesome like we we're gonna see more of that in the next few years and I, i hope that mlb embraces them Yes, I, I agree with that. Yep. We're, we're going to take a quick break here, and when we come back, uh, we're going to we're going to talk about your book uh, after the break. So uh, so we'll be right back. Welcome back. Uh, joining me uh, this week is uh, some guy named Jim Passan and uh, Jeremy Frank, uh, owner of the MLB Random Stats uh, Twitter account. But they together, when you combine their forces, they are the co-authors of the Hidden Ball Trick Volume Two. And um, I want Volume One also. We did Volume that One, one also. You did do all. The, you're you're the uh, founder <laughs> of the series. Volume. We we started the we started with um, one. So it's not even our first series that we've wrote together before, though. Yeah, we wrote we wrote some uh, some fiction series uh, back in the day. <laughs> did you? Uh, 
Yeah, no, I'm just kidding. Oh, uh, okay. I was like really intrigued there. You, you, you nah, had me hooked. <laughs> we, we used yeah, it was to... actually a children's book series, but <laughs> you'll never what... find it. We wrote it under a pseudonym and everything. Like he'll never find that. No. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, we did. We did the old uh, the uh, stats that make every team sound good at the All Star break. We oh yeah, that... just that book. <laughs> we did that in a couple couple years in a row. That was the series. Does that count? That yeah, that totally counts. That's that's yeah. that's more output than most people. Um, <laughs> so I wanted to ask you guys, like you know, hidden vol. The volume two is out now, um, yep. but I want to kind of know. I want to know a little bit about how the whole story, how the whole series really started. You know, where was step one for volume one that led to volume two? Yeah, so it was a pretty terrible process, honestly. Like <laughs> I was in computer science one day. And I'm like, like, I don't remember what, ins- what like inspired it. I don't know. I was just bored out of my mind. And I texted Jim like, hey, dude, like we should write a book. Like kind of as like a joke, but kind of like, hey, like we should do this. I don't know why. Like me and Jim are like, we have been friends for a few years on Twitter. I met him once and uh, he came to Chicago one time. But uh, I'm like, hey, like, dude, like we should write a book. And Jim's like, I don't know what you Jim said, but that's kind of how it started. And then <laughs> I, I was like, you asked me, you're like, hey, man, have you ever thought about writing a book? And I was like, no, it was like a one word reply. Right. <laughs> <laughs> well, now you have. Did <laughs> you, but... you think about it? Yeah. Right. And it was just like, I guess. But right, what are you what are you thinking? Right. And Jeremy had already kind of thought out the process of what he thought the book could be like. So he pitched so it to me. It was going to all be one book. Oh God, yeah, this thing was going to be a monster. Good grief! It, it really yeah. does read, and you know what, what's interesting about it is though is that is that the book does read almost like, you know, there's books you read for the story, there's books you read for the narrative. This almost reads like. I, I call it like a coffee table book where you put it out there, and yeah, then it's, it's like, like you're, yeah, you're you're just watching a game, and you think, has any like somebody turns a triple play, and it's like. Golly, I wonder, did this happen? Like, or, or a, a commentator says in 19, you know, this hasn't happened since 1925. And it's like, well, okay. So then you pull the book out, you go to 1925. It almost reads as a reference book. You know, you're, you're relying on the numbers to tell a story. Uh, have you ever run into a situation where, you know, the numbers have kind of led you astray? from what you wanted to do like they totally defied what you were thinking and you had to kind of you had to kind of reformulate what you were doing yeah i mean i the way we the way we kind of took about writing this book um like obviously it's it is very like referency like because there are a lot of numbers in it but um like i was telling you off uh off podcast i hate writing and and jim (laughs) does too but we wanted to make it as like much of a story as we could make it and obviously like it's not like a a book it's not a it's not a um like a novel or anything it's it's bulleted points it's there's introduction conclusion like very baseline um literature standards like very barely a book but we did our best that like if you are paying attention in the book like there will be like um like stories that kind of connect from year to year about a certain player or about a certain um, like team or whatever that like, it's not just like uh, we're listing baseball stats like that's kind of what it is at its core but at the same time we try and best to tell like a, a story of what was happening each year with with the numbers so we try and I don't know I don't know if um, to answer your question I don't know if there's anything that like um, any numbers that kind of didn't work out the way we wanted it to but a lot of times if that did happen if we found something interesting we kind of highlighted in our in our book there's a lot of 
like um, in the second volume, especially like you have all of the legendary players like Babe Ruth, Rogers Hornsby, Joe DiMaggio, Ted Williams, all of those guys that everyone knows. And like you could tell a story about that era just using eight names if you wanted to, I'm sure. But at the same time, we thought it was really fun to not like obviously to have those players in, in their their historic feats. But there are also a lot of guys that are like one hit wonders in a sense in terms of baseball that no one has heard of that they had a really good one season or had they had a really interesting uh um like they were really good at walking like there were a few guys um in like the 40s and 50s who just walked a ton yeah. and like it was cool like not a lot of people know who uh they they are but um it's cool to just kind of highlight those lesser known players while at the same time kind of comparing them to the the legends of the time because like if you think about it if we're looking at this is kind of like more of like a like stepping back for a little but if you in like 50 years, if you were reading about 2020, um, if someone wrote about 2020 in 50 years from now, most of it's going to be like like a revisionist history of like who the players that ended up being good. If Juan Soto does not end up being a superstar like everyone thinks he's going to be, no one's going to write about him, even if he had a good 2019. Like, yes, he was. Well, I guess he was important for 2019. Like, maybe not. Maybe Juan Soto wasn't the best example. But say like Ronald Acuna Jr., the Braves didn't win the World Series. I know you're a Braves fan. If yes. Ronald Acuna Jr. Yes. does not, if he kind of falls off, has like a 12-year career where he was like a, a fine player, but in 50 years, no one knows who Ronald Acuna Jr. is. Will we hear about him at all in terms of looking at 2019 specifically? Probably not. He had a great year, but at the same time, if he doesn't end up being a Hall of Famer, who really cares what he did is what a lot of people would say. But I think what me and Jim tried to do is if you were kind of watching it, looking at each season as if you had no idea what happened the rest of history like who was who was that year's star even if it wasn't a, a future hall of famer right jim jim yeah, what yeah. Do you, go ahead sorry no yeah exactly yeah the the numbers um that that we were looking for right the it wasn't always based around the stars right it wasn't we were just looking for things that were just odd and, and uh and rare and shined a light on what was happening in those years. And sometimes the, the names came back and they were your uh, Harmon Killebrews. And sometimes they come back and they're hot Lizenby, right? But they all get an equal billing in this book. We, if you if you could put up a number that that sounded interesting, goofy, uh, just out of the way of uh, being something that was uh, over the top, you're in, right? So. Uh, yeah, the the numbers that that we came across, some of them didn't always match up for what we were looking for, but it wasn't really trying to hit a narrative, right? The the story was building itself with just with good stats, and and that's really how everything branches off that because really the rest of each chapter is uh is basically almost like a a clip of who debuted and who retired in in that year also or was born and died in that year uh with a little bit of history and a little bit of numbers about that too so um oh yeah the numbers almost always fit right we didn't really have to worry about that there were some stats that just didn't that we found that we just we had to cut where we didn't feel like they would uh they they were enough to make the book but no it, it was a it was pretty pretty easy stat wise it's uh it's just harder putting it together because like jeremy said none neither of us are writers so it's uh to make a book and be an author yeah it's it's not easy and and that was definitely the hard part of this thing it's funny i i say that um in terms of how bad i am well not bad at writing just how much i dislike writing 
in high school, I actually wrote a book before I got an A in an English class in high school. <laughs> so that's kind of what I say to people. Like, I'm not a good... It's easy to write about things that you care about. English class, I don't really care about a lot of the, the books that we read. I'm just not... a. I, I, I have an appreciation for the books. I'm just not a good writer. I'm very lazy with things that I, I don't really care that much about. With baseball, it's a little, a little easier, but but yeah. That's why my tweets are... It's it's a lot easier to write 280 characters at a time than a <laughs> oh, thousand words. <laughs> well, I was, you know, it's interesting. I was going to ask you, you know, do you find it, you know, the, the character restriction? And and I get the feeling I know the answer to this, but I, I, it, I feel like I should ask it anyway. Do, do you find it easier or more difficult to be able to present the numbers and present the stat without the character limit? Oh, yeah, man. It's, it's interesting because um, I would say that I get sometimes I get very frustrated when my, my stat ends up being 284 characters and I don't have any room to cut any information <laughs> from it because it's all important. But at the same time, it's a lot easier to, to digest um, a tweet than it is to digest a, a book. But, like, I guess, like, in terms of attention span, like, people just don't have attention, like, that long of attention spans anymore. Whatever, whatever, whoever's fault that it is, it doesn't really matter. But it's just kind of how it is. People are less inclined to, to open articles, to read books, and they are to just scroll through and read interesting tidbits, which is great for people who post tidbits on their, on their Twitter account. But I think, it's, I think it's kind of easier to, I don't really know how to put it. It's easier to put tidbits into a book like we, me and Jim did, then it would be to, um, if you were like a writer trying to fit all those things into whatever you have to say into tweets, I think it's a lot easier to go um, small to big than it is big to small. Yeah, because at least if you want to go over 280 characters, as long as it's interesting and it, and it, and it warrants going into a larger, say, paragraph of a of a, a bullet point in our book, right? Then then fine, right? But there's still a lot of points in our book where it's it's almost like you could think that we were under our 280 character limit on purpose, right? Because it's uh, meant to be short, sweet, to the point so that you can easily digest it and then usually have to reread it to make sure that you read it correctly, right? So yeah. each one of those bullet points are a little bit different for what we're trying to kill you with, right? We're trying to yeah. get you what kind of information we're trying to hit you with. I will say that the book um, is very is very dense in terms of statistics. Like, there, you can really tell that me and Jim aren't writers by how little like English garbage there is in the book. Pretty much every word has something to do with a baseball stat. There's very little words that don't mean anything in there. Like, pretty much every sentence in the book is. I would say 80% of the sentences in the book add new information to the book. Whereas, like, if you're reading a novel, like a lot of the words are just words to be there because they're either like they make sense like in terms of literature, like. It is nice to to put fillers in terms of novels because you don't want to um, pound the reader with information and stuff because they can't follow. But at the same time, that's not how our, our book is. Our book, it's like, what, 275 pages, but it is 275 pages full of baseball stats. Like, every oh. every sentence is adding something new. So this... Yeah, there's probably, probably close to 1,000 stats in it total. I mean, there's 600 bulleted, a little over 600 bullet point stats alone. And there, it's just straight dense stats, and that's it. So yeah, not much, not much authoring going on. Just a, <laughs> just a lot of compiling. Yeah, yep. right, right. So I wonder, like, is so is this is this the type? What should the reader? So the reader should expect just literally, you know, line for line. You know, I need to look this up. I need to know this. This isn't the book you pick up to, you know, read on the on your back porch, sipping a lemonade or something like that. This is the book that you pick up while you're watching a game or. 
where you're like, I just want, I just want like, you know, you got your baseball, you know, baseball fan friend coming over and you want to impress them with something like this is the, yeah. this is the book you need. Right. Yeah. yeah just like that, one of those things, like you said, a coffee table book. I always think of it as like a toilet reel. Like if you're going to the yeah. bathroom, pick up the book, read a year <laughs> and then just put it back and read the next year. Whenever you get another, whenever you get a chance, it's just one of yeah. those things. Don't read the book all the way through. I tried it and it was not, I mean, it was a good book. It's just a lot of information. You're not going to retain any of it. If you try and read it in like three days, like I tried to do, but yeah, yeah. I mean, if you read one or two years a day, like it is, it's great at like getting new content and stuff, but if you read too much at a time, you're, it's all going to go over your head just because yeah. there's so much there. The guy that uh, I work with out here that bought it, he's a, a baseball historian type of nut, right? And so he bought, he bought the first book and basically he's like, I just basically open up uh, to where I was at and pretty much I'll be lucky if I get through that page or the next page in the next two hours because basically everything that he looks at, he's just like, I got to go research that, you know, and see who that guy is or really let me look at, you know, Babe Ruth stuff, right? And uh, and so, yeah, that's how he was using it. It was as a, a research tool so that he could be like, oh, I'm going to go look up, well, you know, Hugh Jennings or something like that and, and see who he is and what he meant to baseball. So, yeah, he loves it. Every time I run into him at work, which is about once a month, he's just always like, oh, man, I was reading your book and I came across this Jack Crooks guy, right? And it's like, <laughs> nah, yeah, we love that guy. So, Jack yeah. Crooks. So, yeah. So is there – I'm going to pin you down just a little bit here uh, one, from each of you. I I need to know what is – what what's the one – what what's the one stat? What's the one line that you took away that's your favorite from the book? What you, I'm going to pin you down to one. Okay, well I'm lucky. I've got my book right in front of me. So it's too hard to find. Um, man, I'll let you. I'll let Jim have a little bit more time at it. But um, you're good. You're good. If man. I had to, I don't know if it's one specific line, but I think. Personally, I have a great appreciation for Rogers Hornsby having researched um, him. Uh, he is one of the best players of all time. And I don't think he gets treated as such because he was the second best player to Babe Ruth his entire career pretty much. But he's probably the best second best player in his era of all time. Like his 1924 season here. I'll read you. I'll read you an excerpt out of this. Um, this is just a bunch of stats in a row. Um Rogers Hornsby continued his stretch of dominance, perhaps with his best season yet. He had 424, a live ball error record, 507 on base percentage, and a 696 slugging percentage. He racked up 227 hits in only 143 games. In his second half, um, he holds live ball error records with a 489 batting average over a 50 game span and a 437 batting average over a 100 game span. Um, from August 20th to August 29th, a span of 10 days. He played in 14 games, 14 games in 10 days, because he had four doubleheaders. He had, he went 34 for 51 with 18 extra base hits, six walks, and only struck out one time for an OPS over 2,000. And then included in that stretch was a pair of doubleheaders, August 20th and August 21st. He had a doubleheader both games. In those four games, he went 13 for 14 with four doubles, two homers, and a walk. He hit 929 with a 2576 OPS, and his Cardinals lost two of those four games. <laughs> that's incredible. And and that's just kind of, I mean, he was, in the entire 20s, I think he won, off the top of my head, I think he won the batting title, the on-base title, and the slugging title, like six different years in his career. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong, Jim, but I think he led the National League in all three of those stats six different years. 
was like I mean, six no years else. in a row, wasn't it, or something? No, maybe. No, I think he took 25 right off or something to that up. effect. But he he was one of the most interesting studies that we came across by far. He is it, so, it was so ground up. It was six years in a row, from 1920 to 1925. And then he actually did it one more time in 1928. So in seven of the ten years in the 1920s, Hornsby led the National League in batting average, on-base percentage, and slugging percentage. And OPS, obviously, because he led in on-base and slugging. But, I mean, he was one of the most dominant players in baseball history. The problem was Babe Ruth was better than him right. in the for the Yankees. But even so, there were a couple years where Hornsby was better than Ruth. And, like, no one really cared because, like... He wasn't Babe, Babe Ruth, yeah. Right. I mean, like, in 1922, Hornsby had the, le- the best OPS in baseball. In 1925, he did. In 1929, he did. Um, but he, that's three out of the ten years. And obviously, like, Babe Ruth is was a better player than him. But I would argue that uh, Hornsby is an all-time great, and he doesn't get treated as such. Like no one, no one talks about Rogers Hornsby like they do. They do Babe Ruth. Rightfully sure. so, Babe Ruth is a better player. But even in the remote like lens of, if you ask a casual baseball fan to name the top ten boy, baseball players of all time, very few will say Rogers Hornsby because no one really knows who Rogers Hornsby is. Right. But man, he was so good. Right. Right. Jim. Big time. Uh, you know, one of the, I guess, I mean, we all know that, you know, I mean, I guess writing this book was like the sweet spot of the Yankees, right? It's uh, mm-hmm. the 20s were good. The 30s were good. The 40s weren't that bad. The 50s were good. The 60s were pretty. It was just a great book for me and the Yankees. But I think uh, one of the ones that sticks out the most to me is basically we all know about the 27 rings and everybody goes back and talks about it and everything else was not just that they were winning them, but how dominantly they were winning them. Um, the first seven times that somebody had swept a world series, it was the first time was 1914. It was the Boston Braves. The next six times it happened, it happened over a span of 24 years. It was the Yankees all six times, right? Starting in 1927, 28, 32, 38, 39, and 50. Nobody else was sweeping series. Yeah, they were winning them, but they were winning them running away. I just, uh, so dominant. just, baffles me the numbers that came out of uh of what Gehrig and ruth and uh dimaggio did um so yeah that one that's one i i there's so many in there one of my other favorite stats um you mentioned dimaggio and i thought of the stat but um not only did ted williams have a better batting average than Do- than joe dimaggio over joe dimaggio's hitting streak but there are also two other players besides Ted Williams that had a better on base percentage than Joe DiMaggio did uh, during his hitting streak. And that's not like to like demean what Joe DiMaggio did. Like 56 games is not a record anyone will break anytime soon, but it's kind of crazy that there were three guys, two of them. I don't even remember. One of them was Roy Cullen. I don't remember the other guy's name, but two guys who really <laughs> not ex- had a better on base percentage than Joe DiMaggio over his legendary streak, which I think is kind of funny. Not like it really means anything, but I think it's just kind of a funny stat to look at. And it wasn't like it was a guy that just had like eight games played. The guy was playing full time oh, yeah, during yeah. that stretch. Yeah. So, yeah. It's uh, it's interesting. Like what you guys have done is you've really taken the gamut of numbers and you you, you know you've sort of filtered it down to a, a digestible way for people to to just like you said sit down read a little bit. Go go about their day. Come back. Read a little bit. You're having an uncomfortable conversation with your spouse. Pick it up. Read it a little bit. You got to pretend to be interested in whatever TV show they're watching. Pick it up. Read it a little bit. It's 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 
a um, it's an interesting approach to a book, you know, which is typically you approach it as like I want them to read as much as possible. This is just a very accessible type of reference book. So um, I think people are really going to like it. Um, it seems to be getting some traction already. So I'm uh, really excited about that. And, um, and uh, so I got to ask uh, to close the show, like uh, volume, volume three. Or is there going to be a volume three? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there will be a volume three. We don't have a timetable for it because last time we gave a timetable for a book, we Oof. missed it quite a few months. <laughs> yeah. But we're going to hopefully um, this quarantine will be good for something and we can get some uh, progress uh, started. But man, um, it'll be it'll be done eventually. I will guarantee you that um, as long as me and Jim will stay healthy, the book will happen. Yeah, uh, it's just a matter of when. Well, let's well, yeah, just... Book will definitely happen. Yeah, it, uh, the world needs to calm down a little bit on uh, the personal side for me for work, and uh, and that should open up things for me. It'll be able to give me opportunity to get back into it. Uh, what would help would be another baseball season starting up, but uh, I don't know if that's going to happen. So also shut. true, but uh, well, we're just going to enjoy Volume Two now. Uh, Jeremy Frank, Jim Passon Jr. Uh, thank you guys so much for taking the time to uh, to uh, to come and listen to us, uh, Jeremy. Uh, you know this is typically where we shout out our social media handles, but everybody knows everybody knows where we are already. You're at MLB Random Stats. Jim is at Passing Jim. We are at RMNTC Baseball. Thank you so much for listening. Guys. Thank you.